Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to the second of our Formula One review podcasts. Uh, So much happening this year that we've split it into two. You can check out our previous one where we were talking about Ferrari, Max, Red Bull, Mercedes, and some of the politics of the season so far. This time, though, we'll look down arguably some of the more interesting bits of the midfield battle some cracking drives that may have gone under the radar but our team of experts will uncover them for you on this podcast today i shall introduce you into the reverse order of last time although alex now you'll be in the middle again so hang on a minute i have not worked that out anyway first of all listeners will be interested though only one edit was made on the last show because of a of a swear but normally you'll litter a podcast with them for me when i'm editing so thank you matt q welcome back Thank you. My parents will be so proud to, to hear that. You should hear him when he's driving. <laughs> I just I just like to negotiate with others. Um, it's fine. I like to think it benefits you because when I shout an explosive into the microphone, I'm so disappointed with my own performance. I like to think you just scroll along like the 
whatever it is where the the, the waveform on yeah, screen. Yeah, I think ah, oh, Matt's Matt's done the blunder there. We can cut out the next thirty seconds while it goes into an apocalyptic, yeah, unbroadcastable tirade that would That's probably get him sacked it. if it was ever to leak. But well, it would yeah. never leak. Our second member of the panel today is our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalinorkis. Your memories of Matt Q's driving this year seem to be quite scary from what I, I, I find. No, he's always in control. You it's just that. it's it's uh, it's it's fast. It's we get what we get where we're going, like Quickly, and I, which I appreciate, which I appreciate. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm it's, so uh, gutted that Hulkenberg got the seat because I thought I was right in the frame for that last house vacancy right at the end. And you know, it was just the, you know, occasionally when it's like we were driving back uh, from uh, the final race in Abu Dhabi, like we didn't leave, we were the last people in the media center. I've never had that happen before, genuinely. Last people there, the first ones back. <laughs> <laughs> we took a selfie, you couldn't, it was totally pointless because you couldn't tell there was no one else in the room. But anyway, uh, yeah, we were at the lights at like 3 a.m. in downtown Abu Dhabi, and he's still like, I'm gonna smoke this guy. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's the middle of the night. There's no competition here. I still live in that person's head there. That's, that's what it's all about. How many, Worth it, then. How many yeah. speeding tickets has he got this year, then? Only two. It's probably too soon to talk about Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that's um, not arrived in the post yet. No, the the two from Austria were cancelled because they took too long on their side. The one I'm gutted about is, uh, I won't quite go into detail about what I was doing, but I was really hoping for a, a photograph of the offence I did in, in Monza because I'd frame that. <laughs> we, we really shouldn't glamorise this. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not cool to be uh, a bad driver. No, kids, don't drive too fast. Uh, and That's why uh, I don't. No. And our, our, our final member of the panel today, our F1 reporter, who was kept uh, busy this year with the general uh, machinations of Formula One at all times. Luke Smith, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be back on for part two. Let's talk about the the, the big McLaren Alpine battle then the fight to be best of the rest the teams and the drivers what are your thoughts on that big battle this year the best of the rest battle is maybe not the most exciting thing but it's important like it's tens of millions of pounds that are between all of these teams basically from what fourth to tenth pretty much and it's been it's been really close and i think when we sort of look at the new regs have they worked haven't they worked i think those who were quite keen to pan them kind of said that oh well you've had yeah one non-big three team podium all season so has it really worked you've had one team dominate proceedings therefore it's a failure and I I completely disagree with that I think that it's going to take time for that convergence to happen the big teams always have some kind of advantage at the start of a reg cycle and if you look at the battle from yeah what fourth to tenth it, it was actually quite close. Like in terms of that sort of bunch together, like there were races where, yeah, Alex Albon would get ahead and he'd keep everyone else behind him or something like that. Uh, we saw, yeah, Haas on pole position. We saw the Alpha Tauris up there every now and then. Aston had this great late season revival. Alfa Romeo started the season so well. In the end, McLaren and Alpine just sort of, they pulled away as the year went on. And I think that both of them did well on the development front, I think particularly on Alpine's side. And Alpine, they struggled so much in pre-season as well. And uh, yeah, as we talked about on our Abu Dhabi season review show, I said they're going to finish eighth this year and be the biggest disappointment. And they finished fourth. They came back very well and they were very keen to point that out to me. But uh, yeah, fair play to them. They really turned things around very, very well. And I think for Alpine, although there wasn't a podium this year, I think they did make a real decent step forward compared to last season. Reliability is the big thing that they have to fix for next year. Fernando Alonso was yeah pretty pretty uh, outspoken, did not mince his words, saying... Oh, 
it's always car 14 that gets hit with these issues and yeah he lost a lot of points this season because of various problems he put in some great performances um, like Canada putting out on the front row uh, Australia like he, he reckons he could have been in the fight for pole position um, whether or not he sort of yeah take it with a pinch of salt but it's um, yeah definitely there were missed opportunities this year but I think Alpine overall I think they were the better team in terms of how they sort of functioned operated versus McLaren I think their development plan was better. I think they sort of went for the little but often approach instead of McLaren, who went for these bigger packages through the season. And most importantly, they had the most balanced driver lineup. Like they got a very even amount of points out of Ocon and Alonso. There was only 11 points between them at the end of the season. Obviously, yeah, again, that's skewed by various DNFs or whatever. But yeah, with McLaren, it was a much, much bigger gulf, both in terms of the points and what we saw all on track as well between Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. And yeah, is there an argument there that, um, yeah, if you had someone who wasn't Daniel Ricciardo in that car, another Lando Norris, then it would have swung McLaren's way. In terms of Alpine, better to have an engine that's quick and reliable. But if you can't have one of those, better to have a, a quick engine or a quick package that you can fix reliability, which is their argument. Alonso uh, ran out of time with that then, so he's, he's jumped ship. What are your thoughts on uh, on those claims about uh, Alonso saying that uh, he was let down? Formula has a slight problem in that if the, the gap between like first to tenth has shrunk, but that was because Haas was so bad in 2021 and so far off the pace. Undeveloped car, rookie drivers, that's, that was the reason. The gap between first and ninth is actually slightly wider. So yeah, if you look at the super times, it's 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 not much, but it is. It's not like they were all suddenly. Thank you very much. It's almost like I do this for a living. Um, <laughs> basically, what, what you know, what, what I'm saying is, is that Formula One needs it to get a lot closer next year. They that is, you know, you, you want that tight midfield battle at the front, and obviously that's uh, still an ongoing aim. But yeah, I, I, I actually, I'm now I'm now entering the realm of speculation here when it comes to Alpine and specifically some of those claims about oh, it's only car 14 that everything all these problems problems mm. happen on. Now we spoke in the last podcast about going through uh, mine and Matt's driver ratings for every round and I did that because I wrote the basically what we've done give the uh, listeners uh, a bit of insight into how we've um, split things up in terms of our season review approach we've for our top 10 drivers of the year we've done five each right our favorites <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yes yes those favorites we're not allowed to have but as it turned out I got both Alpine drivers right so I read through every race and driver rating Alonso got, every race that Ocon got, right? And there's a couple of really interesting things about Ocon in particular. I think it was Australia and Mexico. He was massively having to lift and coast to cool the engine to keep everything going. And he finished the race and he scored points in both of those events. I wonder, I have no proof, I have absolutely no proof that this is what went on. When that happens to Fernando Alonso, is he is he is he just going to go, right, I'm just going to keep going until it goes bang? Because... You know, I'm. It doesn't make me look bad. It makes you know. It it, it just it, it highlights what's going on here. I have no idea whether that's the case, but it did strike me that Ocon could manage a car to the finish when Alonso couldn't. And there was something that was put to Ocon at the end of the season. Uh, I think I, I think I even asked the question. I said, "Look, yeah, you've beaten Fernando over the two years you've been here together. That's quite sort of a, an achievement." And okay, I know Alonso's had a lot of issues this year. And Esteban said, "Well, I've had my problems as well. So maybe it is stuff like that." That yeah. We don't see it on the sort of Wikipedia page that we've got up here where it's a clear retirement or something. But it is more that, yeah, he's had these races where it's like, I've got to be more conservative, but he's done it and still brought home the points. And, and that, you know, to add add fuel to the fire, that would totally fit with what we know about Alonso's character, where he said all season, yeah, I've been at my 2012 best here, but I don't care uh, at all about any of these best of the rest honours or not being on the podium. So, you know, if I can look lightning in a straight line and then, you know, be very um, 
precocious in the media as I often am if I'm Alonso then having a having a car that goes pops frustrating but it only only furthers further that cause and you know and and uh, Alpine Alpine have you know conceded that they you know like we were talking about Ferrari and chase uh, performance and then you can build back unreliability and Alpine's excuses we you know there were there were two things one we couldn't replicate certain conditions uh, in the rigs and on the dyno which is a bit spurious because considering the engines have been carried over and you know like Mexico where where they were unreliable and, and Singapore where they're you know eating up their own cylinders well we've been to those tracks before so I don't buy that and the other one he, he said you know in not so many words they weren't built very well on a couple of occasions there were some manufacturing issues and he, he blamed it on I think I think he dropped the definitive article and he, instead of it in blaming it on the mechanics he blamed it on a mechanic in his words so whether someone sort of clonked something he shouldn't have and uh, <laughs> it went but um, yeah in, in interesting interesting narrative there and then you know to t- tie, tie that in you know it's a Ferrari or whatever how, how that that the Alpine structure now with Otmar at the helm and and how that's worked versus versus McLaren who've uh, who've basically first time in four years I know the championship's slightly different but the first time in four years you'd say they haven't made you know tangible progress which is a big big backward step and and as as Luke was saying earlier, it's the exact question I put to Norris and Sider where the narrative Fernando has pedaled as if well if you know if it wasn't for our unreliability we'd be way more than 19 points ahead of McLaren well yeah but if Daniel Ricciardo had scored more than 37 points compared to Lando Norris 122 then there wouldn't be a fight for fourth in that respect either so wow. uh, a bit of, bit of good hyperbole from both sides I think yeah yeah when you put it like that that points that points difference Alex your thoughts on on both teams as uh, sort of entities if you like Alpine Renault, a.k.a. Uh, Enstone, very all the might of an OEM to sell road cars. McLaren selling road cars, but ultimately very invested in, in racing. But over the last few years, along with the various lockdown periods we've had, gone through periods of fundraising and keeping the company going, different stresses and pressures on, on those teams. But what will they both need to do next year to be a success in 2023? Well, for McLaren, obviously, it's hoping that Oscar Piastri can match Lando Norris's level. And if he can do that, that automatically puts them on a massive positive sort of step forward, you know, speaking metaphorically, of course, but it's just purely adding balancing the points totals, as as, 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 as we were saying earlier. But yeah, for Alpine, it's, uh, you know, keeping the sort of intra-team battles under control because it all got a bit messy, let's put it diplomatically, for uh, Ocon and Alonso. You've got Pierre Gasly coming in, things like that. But there's a wide issue at stake for both teams, right? In that Formula One is now sort of saying, we can't do all that much more to help you guys, right? We've got a cost cap. We brought in new cars. That was your big opportunity. Change, you know, the big, big reg change, things like that. There was... Everybody's been saying for about 18 months now, the big teams, Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, they're going to keep a certain advantage because they were winning in the previous era. You can't just lose that accrued success sort of wealth, that knowledge. That's, that's that, that. I don't mean like money, even though they did obviously gain more in um, prize money. I mean, literally just the knowledge of how to win, right? They're not going to lose that. So they're going to keep that additional benefit. But F1's point is teams such as Alpine and McLaren extremely successful championship winning squads quite a long time ago now they that it is on them it's getting to that point it's not not maybe not there yet we know mclaren's got a new wind tunnel coming you know that's gonna be a couple of years before we see the benefit of that things like that but that it's now's your time to really get back in there luke what are your thoughts on what defines 
success? Alpine have their, is it their five-year plan or 100 race plan? What was it? That was a 100 race plan. Aston Martin's the five-year plan. Right, okay. So plans in F1, aren't Well, they? I mean, that's L the thing. plan as well. So, you know, <laughs> you know, if you're going to the board and asking for hundreds of millions, you need to be guaranteeing success. And what do you think success looks like for, for, for both of those teams? Is it challenging a, a Ferrari for third or possibly a Mercedes for third? Maybe a Red Bull for third, but it won't be in 2023. I think it's cutting the gap again. And I think it's going to take time for, I mean, Alex said with the super times, like it's going to take time for that convergence to happen as the, the cost cap kicks in more and sort of facilities like come up to speed and whatever and things like that. And I think that it is, it's going to be a gradual process. And I think that in terms of deciding, like have these regs been a success or not, in reality, I think the the proof will be in the pudding in five years' time. Like, if in five years' time we do have this open fight between the top three we have now, plus McLaren, plus Alpine, plus Aston Martin, fantastic. But we obviously we don't know that now. And I think that for next year, I think they just need to make another step and take that sort of, again, get that convergence, get closer and get a podium. I think get up on the podium. That's a big thing to, to have. And that's what Esteban Ocon, he said, it's been my best season to date in F1. The only thing I'm missing is a podium because ultimately that's, yeah, the trophy you put in the factory that the workforce will go past every day and say, right, that's what we work for. That's what we come to do. Uh, and I think that's what, yeah, they need next season. So I'd say cut that gap again, get a podium under their belts. So that would be the big the big step forward. I think it's unrealistic to expect them to fight for more wins, fight for wins again as early as next year. But um, yeah, I think they can definitely try and make another step. And hopefully as the years go by, that convergence at the top will happen. That's a very Alonso-like comment there from Ocon. I would say there were some pretty forgettable races from Ocon at times. Like he he was very good at times as well. Like that was Japan, he's driving in Japan. Only Max Verstappen was better, I would say, and that and that and it's not by much. Ocon yeah, was fantastic, yeah. and that was across the whole weekend. But Alonso just seemed to have him just generally on race pace. I think it was very close between the two of them in qualifying. I think Ocon leads, leads the head to head or won the head to head by one race. Once you take out, you know, the sessions that the qualifying sessions that were impacted by reliability, it sort of plateaued a little bit from Ocon this year. I mean, obviously he didn't have the win, but that was uh, sort of a, a freak circumstance event that he did very well to win in Hungary last year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I still think Ocon tremendous. Uh, but yeah, just 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 interesting because it's it's you know Alonso's made a big deal about oh you know I I had all these retirements and things like that and I was spoken about that earlier about what maybe uh, what may may additionally have been going on there but um, but yeah Ocon 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 I I just find him a fascinating character I really I I love it. I like interviewing him he comes across as very very genuine I think that's that's fair enough on that he um, actually sent me a message on Instagram the other day about the GP racing feature I'd done and it's like how many drivers actually take time to be like I've read your article and I'm going to say yeah I'm very pleased with that did so, he really yeah, yeah it's really kind of him wow. Yeah. Nice work. Well, he won't like this comment. He's got. <laughs> he's, I, well, he. I know. I know this is a season review. I doubt pod- he listens to the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I know. I know this is a season review podcast. But he's. He's now got twelve months to define his his place in F one history, hasn't he? He was. The first third of the season was was bad. I think. Um, you know. I, I know he's under a long-term contract, but, you know, sources at Alpine say that he was making a case for his future there, you know, that he, he knew he was underperforming. And, OK, it's understandable that when Ricardo left the team, there are questions about, you know, is he capable of being a team leader? But those two years later, he's facing those same questions. And, and now, obviously, you know, write all we want about the fractious relationship he has with Gasly. You know, he's he's had... 
years now to ingratiate himself into that team. So if he's not establishing himself as a mature team leader next year, then then you know all, for all the you know good things that have come, you know obviously Toto Wolf is has has always you know um, touted Ocon as, as a great talent and a race win. The next twelve months will be super super critical to whether he's a he's a good driver or or a great Grand Prix driver. I think you might have made this point this year that Alpine have gone through that big period of spending, of, in, of investment, right, that Aston Martin are doing now. If you've been to Silverstone recently and you'll see... Uh, in fact, look, didn't you... Yeah, uh, I've been to that factory, you, yeah. You, went to, oh, you, you had the hard hat on and the, and the steel toe I, I boots. I thought I pulled it off quite well, you actually. Did, yeah, yeah. it was a little YMCA, but I thought it was good. <laughs> Thanks, <Martin. laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. And again, it is that kind of go back to the five-year plan versus the 100 race plan or whatever it is that sort of long-term vision saying we're not going to win this year we know that and it's about what we do down the line and yeah that's what Alpine have been doing over the years with this investment and it needs to start paying off soon and with Aston Martin yeah in a couple of years time they need to be right at the front and winning but I think if we can talk about Aston as well I think the trajectory they showed at the back end of the season after how badly they started the year and they realised yep this car it's just not the concept we need it's not going to work and they turned things around really really well and I think that was massively impressive and I think that Fernando Alonso yeah again sort of the the Alonso tax I think we've spoken about before where it's like oh if something's like 100% actually it's like 50% you've got to take that into account but he did that test in Abu Dhabi in the unbranded Aston Martin and he said like I'm I'm so happy like any it really made it sound like I've made exactly the right call jumping to this team when I have. And I think that it's it's interesting. Yeah, they're on this upward trajectory. And if he thinks that's the best place for him to maybe win more races or even go for a third championship or something, I don't know. But the investment they're doing is really impressive. And like going around the Aston factory, I was saying it already feels like a racing factory. Like you go around the MTC. I, I love the MTC. It's amazing. But it... It, it's a, all a bit spick and span. It's like you don't want to sort of like, oh, I don't want to get anything mucky or sort of like oil anywhere or anything. Whereas you go around Mercedes or Red Bull and it feels like a racing factory. And the Aston, what they're putting together already feels like a bit of a blend of both. So I think that Aston are on a on a good way. And I think that the way they finished this season, missing out on sixth in the championship, Abu Dhabi, I think they did miscue that strategy. Yeah. But I think they can be really pleased with how they turn things around. And next year, they could well be in that fight for best of the rest honours, I think. Yeah, You're right to point that out with the, the developments that Aston made working. Like, that doesn't necessarily happen at, at all the teams. Like, they made tangible progress forwards and that car was so bad at the first part of the year. Like, it was just shorn of downforce compared to its rivals. Australia, look at Vettel crashing twice, Stroll having those incidents. You know, it was it was a bad start. Baku, I think he managed it three times in a day. Yeah. yeah. I remember in Melbourne Airport, we were flying home and we were talking about Aston Martin. I was like, what if they don't score a point this year? And again, that was maybe a bit cynical and maybe the same with Alpine at the beginning of the year. I was like, oh, doomsday. But, um, but yeah, I remember having that chat and because it looked really bad then, but they turned things around very well. So Stroll got his, uh, well, said goodbye to one shiny world champion, got a new shiny thing, as you like to say earlier this year in, in Alonso. We were talking about, on a, I think, a half-term report, and we are talking about what possible drivers you could get, we, he could have gotten in. Um, and Alex, you were saying he won't settle for anything apart from a big headline name. Like, that's the ambition of the team. It's not going to be two F2 drivers, you know, and he got his big shiny Alonso. So. Exactly, yeah. Lawrence Stroll. We we know this about billionaires. They do like they do like their their new toys. And yeah, got one in, in Alonso. But it's just going to be fascinating because you've got 
the prestige and the legend and the history and the just the raw amazing talent. I mean, it's still at 41 years old. Fernando Alonso is amazing. Like, he's still brilliant. And I, I mean, because a lot of people are like, oh, you need to get a young driver in. You can't have these old drivers. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, honestly, I know this is going to sound really harsh and they're both Aston Martin. I would rather have Fernando Alonso than Felipe Drogovic in Formula One next year. Like, it's just... Obviously, it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just like, one is better than the other and also one is more interesting than the other. So I always sort of view things in terms of the way we do that stuff as professional journalists, right? But... Um, the thing with next year that is going to be fascinating is, yes, Lawrence Stroll has got, you know, he got his he's got his prize, he's got his his amazing talented Fernando Alonso, who's now going up against his son, and I just refuse to believe that that's not going to be fireworks and that that team could potentially implode on the back of that. Like they crashed at Austin. That was the most muted Alonso. He was, was so diplomatic. Plane crash. Yeah, and I mean to be to be fair, in that instant, I think they were both to blame. Like Stroll was more to blame. But why did Alonso have to get so close to the back of him before he decided to overtake? It was the same with Ocon in Brazil that he was then penalised for. That's something that I've put in the in the in the entry when you know, going through him for the season review. Right, it's like um, there were some weird moments there, Fernando, but. You know how do you how 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 is Aston going to manage Fernando Alonso being Fernando Alonso when he's fighting with the boss's son or or if things aren't if the, if that upward trajectory slows down slightly or doesn't carry on or just doesn't go you know as quick as he wants he's he's he, wherever he's been throughout his career he's not been able to hold back and 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 you know play the politics game so 2023 honestly Aston is going to be really worth watching well you can't manage. Fernando Alonso, ultimately, because... I he, definitely can't. Well, no, <laughs> nobody can manage Fernando Alonso. If you look at the great world championship, uh, world champion drives, Red Bull, Vettel was Rocky, Lewis Hamilton is Bono, Max Verstappen is... GP, Giampieri Lambiesi. Right. Sorry, Say I'm terrible at I'm celebrating pronouncing things. You say yeah. it quick enough, you pronounce it correctly. Also, he's, <laughs> but, he's, but interesting with him, he was uh, chief engineer of the whole Red Bull squad this year, and obviously speaking to Max on the radio, got that promotion earlier in the season. Yeah. So great drivers are managed at various stages in their career, depends on their age or where, where they are, by great engineers. I just can't see Aston having any control over Fernando Alonso. Part Fernando Alonso will do what Alonso wants to do, right? Well, it, it's the Alonso show. I think that is part of the risk of the signing is that Aston is at a really precious stage of its development. I think, um, you know, <laughs> the pictures of them standing outside with JCB man and, and a, a fork in the ground oh, feel yeah, like shovel, months ago. Yeah, now there's a whole... Yeah. Whole factory that the where it's gone up, but Omar you know, was still there. Yeah, yeah, it's mad how quickly that turnaround's come. But it's at a critical phase in its development now, with the new factory coming uh, online. What a horrible word, but coming online because Alonso's walked into that garage in Abu Dhabi and said, "Oh, it reminds me of Jaguar," which is just about the worst comparison he could have ever made in terms of tempting fate. How but, insulting! Yeah, as well, you're <laughs> but that's, that's the that thing. You know, the whole uh, you know the Jaguar, the famous story of the Ford ballroom going, "Who's this E Irvine we're paying millions to?" That's but that that's you know it, it was an abundance of, of money, and you can read everything you like about the shambles that is Aston Martin, the road car company, and, and where that is going. But this year, the dramatic turnaround and, you know, you talk about Bonotto sort of, you know, not wanting to single anyone out or whatever. And it's the team effort. Everyone at Aston Martins goes, the turning point was April when Dan Fallows, former um, aerodynamicist from, from Red Bull, joined. And he, he, you know, he was given an early release and he's, he's moulded this car. And he's now super, super critical to, to where this team goes from here, which is why he, you know, I think he needs to be allowed a bit of autonomy or whatever. And that is where the... Alonso sideshow you know let, let's uh it's the context of you know Dietrich Maschitz died this year he was he was a fantastic billionaire and you know um and did so much for his team but was quite hands-off and that's what Lawrence Stroll hasn't been so far 
But by delegating to someone like Dan Fallows, who's not a Christian, but like that pivotal character, the new son and whatever, Alonso being such a turbulent force at this delicate phase, that that could be that could be sort of to Aston Martin's cost. But since this is a season review podcast, talk about how how well how well they came back and you know. Th- they were they were so so bad and bright. It was a completely different car concept. And I know that you know the the joke is it was Dan Fellows ex Red Bull, and then it looks like an RB18 after Spain. But in the Super Times, they were slowest with uh, Williams in the early races. Uh, they lost they lost um, Vettel at a critical phase in those first two races. And not only was the car bad, but they they actually started on the wrong development path. So you effectively had to rewrite it. So. Um, so they, they've made their big mistake. And if they're growing now, what they don't need is Alonso going, that was the best drive for 15th place you've ever seen. But their team's absolutely ruined it and killing morale. And and Lance Stroll also being there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point about having a multiple world champion on, on your books, which you made on the previous podcast about what Lewis Hamilton did at Mercedes first half of, of this year, which was really take one for the team, which was absolutely put all of his years of knowledge into working out what's wrong with this car in a way that George Russell couldn't, right? Because he'd, because he'd, he'd come from a car that was pretty bad. And so if Alonso plays that role with one eye on legacy, with one eye on investment into a I don't know future business or his clothing line or something and he's in bed with billionaires like he's a he's the ultimate chess player is there any chance that he'll just kind of play the game for a couple of years and then move on be that team player I don't know I think he's wired so differently just to be a, a competitive you get the feeling that if you play the game of football with Alonso he wouldn't he would just go after every tackle you can't rule it out because of course you know the suggestion is he's being paid like a lucrative salary He's a very sensible, very clever guy. You may think, yeah, okay, all right, this is this is this is how it winds down, and I'm just going to bank the money and and have an easy life. But I don't, I don't think you will. I think those exact points you raise, Martin. Formula One drivers, well, all athletes are just wired differently to the rest of us. They honestly they don't think about things in the way uh, the rest of us do. Like there's that famous example that's revealed in that Schumacher Netflix documentary recently about Hareth '97. He got back to the Ferrari garage and went, well, what happened there? Yes. and they're like, you turned into him, Michael. Like, no, no, I didn't. And they're like, no, 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 you did, Michael. And they had to show him the video before his brain would allow him to realise what had gone on. Like these, these, that's a very extreme example, of course, but these professional athletes across all sports are just wired differently. And Alonso, I think it's really impressive about him. Like he, his will to win is right up there. It's just his methods and going about it. Like you say, he's a chess player. Like he's made some bad moves, like bad career moves over the years. He has, that that, that will always be looking back and assessing his legacy. That will always be why he is not one of the greatest of the greats, right? So yeah, I still think he'll be, I think he'll be driven. I think he'll have uh, spectacular moments. It's going to be a story to, to really watch. And this is what, as autosport readers, as we were a few years ago before we worked here and as, as, as working here now, and hopefully our listeners and readers enjoy this as well. This is what we like about Formula One, right? Even if Aston Martin isn't winning every race, there's something really interesting to talk about. It would be good if he could buck up the idea of their operations, I think, with Aston Martin. Like, you know, you can talk about pit stops are never bad, but they're never that quick. But like certain things, you know, how many times were we praising Vettel's race pace because he'd qualified so far out of the order because they had messed up tyre strategy and preparation? You know, they, they have this really bizarre thing where for every race they they insist on having scrubbed tyres already. And, and you know, they, they keep doing it relentlessly, but it just 
brass tacks is that there are 10 teams in Formula One, nine do one thing, Aston Martin do the other, and it's not paying off. I think you've spoken to a solar in Pirelli uh, and said, why are they doing it? He's like, we make the damn things and we don't know what they're getting out of it. And it's just little things like that. There's there's rough edges and that's where Fernando Alonso can do this wealth of experience and be like that talismanic finger. Uh, that Ooh, tali- a talismanic <laughs> finger. That sounds really... Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Or sport after hours. Uh, that's where he can be a talismanic figure and like use experience and gamble and and you know buck their ideas at w- or whatever. Or mm. he can be this disruptive. Just on, on Aston, right? They did some weird strategies this year. Like think I mean, of Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi well, yeah. Why they left Vettel out for so long? It was a similar case at Silverstone and other races. Actually, that one worked out quite well for them. But yeah, there was a bit. There's a few sort of like, what have? Why have you done that sort of thing? So a little bit of sharpening up potentially. I mean, hey, I don't know. Like, there might have been like obviously was very good reasons for doing it, but it just backfired or it ends up looking very risky. When, when they've had a good car, you know, they've been getting sort of six and seven places, but it's not as if they've had even one moment where they've gone radically different to everyone else and come up with third and thought, well, it, you know, a, a broken clock's right twice a day. If we do this again, we might get. They've they've always you know everyone's moved to the left and they've stood still and gone to the right and it's it's never paid off handsomely. So. It just, it, you know, we are paid to be good writers and 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 whatever, not paid to be strategists. But I, I just don't. I, a lot of their decisions, you think, why why are they doing that? We moved from McLaren to Aston, and, and we we kind of ended up on Alonso. But let's just shuffle back to Woking a bit. Luke, did they make the right decision by cutting Ricardo a check? for a whole year of work he won't do. I can't think the last person paid to sit on the sideline. Kimmy Raikkonen paid ten, was it? Yeah, yeah. To, to sit on and, you know, eat his ice creams. So have they done the right thing and paying Ricardo, who was then free to go, go wherever he wanted, and now he'll go be the poster boy for Red Bull, although not getting too many outings, you wouldn't think. But Ricardo gets to go do that with a big old check in his pocket. And McLaren will be better off for it like I, I really rate Daniel Ricciardo like he's again when he's at his absolute top level I think he's one of the quickest and one of the best there is on the grid but it's just not worth it the last two years have been pretty miserable and we've got to not look at that Monza win as being oh Daniel's back and it's proven what he can do and everything like that it's it's an anomaly during his time at McLaren it's this and the day result. where Norris was a quicker driver yeah exactly yeah yeah it's completely just like it was a freak result that should not be taken as a reading of how that time went at all so I think that back in May they kind of got to the point where I said look Daniel this isn't working we need to go our separate ways and then obviously you have sort of the um, yeah posturing with Ricardo saying oh I'm fully committed to McLaren and everything when he knew the writing was already on the wall and then everything behind the scenes to get Oscar Piastri into the car and his um, exit from Alpine which yeah we'll come on to it was um, yeah it was it was a fascinating period and again like we've spoken about the sort of the great stories that we as journalists love getting our teeth into that was brilliant that was fantastic like that sort of 24 48 hours when we were coming back from Hungary and Fernando Alonso ruined my lovely brunch I was having in Budapest that morning after the race and what uh, did you tell Oscar when he got the seat he smiled and nodded <laughs> yeah, exactly. he's like, he's like no it, it was it was fantastic and those were some great press conferences where you get these these lies basically out of people and um but that's that's why we love our jobs. But yeah, it was it was the right call for McLaren to go the separate ways with Daniel Ricciardo. It's a shame. I I'm not sure if we'll see him back in Formula One because I yeah I really think he's made the wrong call by saying I'm just going to be going to go and be a third driver for for a year instead of maybe looking to a Haas or someone like that. He said I basically want to work out do I still want to do this anymore. So that's for him to work out 
completely fair but I think in terms of his sort of future career prospects like yeah obviously your off track life real life is more important than what you're doing on track and and, and that but yeah I, I'm just I'm not so sure we'll see Ricardo back racing in F1 unfortunately but it was the right call by McLaren and from what we gather he's not you know tested reserve driver as in number third in line he is a more of a PR piece of ambassadorial, that ambassadorial yeah. yeah that's the right thing to say well, so he's got to decide whether he wants to turn up to 18 races next year or, or or five of them including las vegas and that's something he said openly which is why wow that's what that's part part of the the not no it's not by no means a predicament but that's why um that there is that nuance in his his job role for next year so they can keep liam lawson on board because he will be at more races than ricardo he's you know the the you know the whole thing about where Perez is going for a sticky patch and, and Ricardo's brilliant in the simulator and has done a few, you know, replicating crashes with Lewis Hamilton like Alex Albon did or something like that. That is, Ricardo's not going to be that driver to get them back in back in the frame, unfortunately. I think, you know, it's, it's very sad to see what's happened. But, you know, this is, he's not done a good enough job. It says, uh, you know, he, it wouldn't have been meritocratic for him to stay. And I think as Luke says, if, you know, there is a human side to it. If he, if he can find his love again for the sport, that, that's great I think the one thing I would say in terms of him making a comeback and I've written a column of why we might have just you know had Ricardo's farewell and no one really cared for it but I think you know what is he 33 so four years younger than sort of Hamilton and obviously Alonso and right now there's not I don't think we're not we're not going to have any time soon like a, a an Albon Russell Norris year of F2 I don't see that quite coming so if there isn't that like class of let's say 2020 three vying for 2024 seat then he could in theory do like what your Hulkenberg's what Nico Hulkenberg's come in I think that's his best way in but again unless it is Perez it's he's it's not going to be a race winning drive so it's difficult to see but I think I think he was right to get flicked to the point where like Norris was saying I was speaking to Norris and he's like well yeah your, your number one target is to beat your team and you always feel good about that but he was like by the end of it I felt bad because I was just watching this shell of a human being and it wasn't you know Lando Norris was uh, took auto sports task over our driver ratings which is he was absolutely right to do but like one of the measures are of driver ratings is how you fare against your teammate and it was like you know, even that wasn't enough to elevate Norris's position at times because because Ricardo was in such a malaise, like, and it wasn't. It doesn't matter what they were doing with the brakes or whatever; they couldn't sort it. And and the thing is, um, Andreas Seidel says it's one of the most difficult moments of my career. This is a guy that's come from a nine one nine program, right? He's overseeing a project that can make one car suit three drivers over twenty four hours, but he couldn't even make Ricardo's car suit Ricardo, which is you know, it was such a scramble of two years but this this is also a failure of mclaren like uh, i think seidel he both him and zach brown it's interesting um speaking to zach brown um in abu dhabi is they they do sound genuinely cut up about this that they obviously you know they've made the right decision to drop ricardo but there's a bit like something's gone wrong here that we've allowed this to happen and norris even talks about he doesn't like driving that car like it's amazing in mexico he was talking about how like oh i sort of hate driving these 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 new ground effects cars and obviously that's they're they're all similar to a certain extent but obviously the mclaren is really tricky like it's a it's a tricky package and and has been you know for some time so mclaren are going to need to to, to, to work on that and they're doing it now with a rookie I mean Daniel Ricciardo's been in Formula 1 for 10 years and they couldn't solve it with him and he couldn't solve the issues now obviously Piastri's going to be very motivated he's supremely talented we're going to come on to the whole of the reasons why McLaren wanted him and why Alpine wanted him as well 
but it's it's you know it's 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 McLaren have got to look at this as we have fouled here as well, and we've got to do something to fix it. Let's get on to it then. Piastri Gate, Piasco, Piastri Gate, whatever you want to call <laughs> as it. You yeah, it. Wow. it was uh, that was wild. It was it was really wild, and I think it really just showed the not fickle nature of Formula One, but just how yeah sometimes the ruthless nature. Ruthless nature, nature. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it was um, it was just how amazing how in the space of forty eight hours Alpine let a two time world champion and their past it was, it was spectacularly bad yeah and their future slipped through their fingers without mm. even realising on both occasions they were like yeah yeah we got it all sorted and whatever and it wasn't obviously we had the back and forth about the, the F1 contract recognition board after Piastri said I am not racing for Alpine next year and yeah over the summer obviously it all kind of went quiet but the noises we were getting were yeah the Piastri count were pretty relaxed that yeah we were going to be with McLaren next year it's all, all okay we went to his birthday party didn't we, we did go to his Melbourne. birthday party in Melbourne, Melbourne. Yeah. Alpine for him a birthday party yeah. I mean it's the least they could do because they've been fobbing him off about an F1 seat for <laughs> this year and, and all that but, but again, trying to keep him happy when we when the we sort of got the full information and our colleague John Noble at motorsport.com did this phenomenal feature picking apart the whole case and what happened and it does go right the way back to sort of like the end of last year even so again when that birthday party we were there and celebrating Oscar's 21st birthday Behind the scenes, it was already going on where they were like, oh, he'll put Mill Williams for a couple of years. He'll be all right there. And it's like, no, this kid is good. Like He's yeah. got a junior CV that I think only Charles Leclerc can hold a hold a candle to. Like, I think otherwise, like they really are... It, he's phenomenal and he really deserves this opportunity. But they were always like, no, nah, I'll stick with yeah, Fernando and Esteban for the future or whatever. And in the end, it, it really backfired spectacularly. They thought they had assurances in place that they just didn't. And they kept on. They kept on saying, "Yeah, we're all right. We're confident. We're going to win this." At no point were they like, "We're going to sit back and see what happens," which is what McLaren did. Like Seidel and Brown, they didn't come out swinging and saying, "Like, oh yeah, now we'll be fine and whatever." They they just kept quiet. They said, "We'll let the CRB go through their methods and their process, and we will talk once there is a decision." And that's what they did. And I think they came out looking much better for it. I think for Oscar, yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I mean, compared to being at Williams for a couple of years, with all due respect to Williams, you'd much rather be in a McLaren. So I think he's in a good spot for the future. And I think that they did well to get him out when they did. But for Alpine, like, what an own goal to let such a good talent go. Yeah, well, one of the reasons Alonso went is uh, to Aston Martin is they had no hesitation in offering a two-year contract, which, you know, Alpine obviously did. And But the, the, the thing I would say is that for us, the moment that tweet, that now infamous tweet from Piastri saying I've not signed his contract, went online, he he was never going to drive for Alpine, regardless. I've, I I personally think of what the CRB would have ruled, because then you're working with a driver that doesn't want to be there. You're not working for a long term goal, so excluding him from certain parts of the engineering d- debrief. And McLaren have already decided to flick Ricardo, so then it just comes yeah. down to you know, how much you can afford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it was always going to be that way, but like. We we did this when we were analysing at the time because I think actually it would have been when we we were back in the studio, we were, wouldn't it? We were back in the studio. The we were on the back. tube coming back from Hungary yeah. when um, the Alpine press release dropped, and we both went, "There's no quote from Oscar in there," yeah. so it was quite clear what was going on. And then I was going to see uh, the Seagull play that evening with um, Emilia Clarke in it. Of you, Thank you. I'm, I'm a sophisticated man. What can I say? And it was, uh, and I I literally booked those tickets in 2018 for 2020 COVID happened. So it had been like four years in the making. And I remember I was walking to the theatre and then Piastri did that amazing tweet. And I was like, and thankfully we've got colleagues, obviously you could jump on and do stuff. But I, and I was sat there trying to enjoy this play and in my head I was just like, but this thing's going on. And But again, wow. it's why we love this job. And I think that was a real just, 
what what a story. What a really wild story. But the whole thing now heaps pressure on Piastri and he's burned bridges in Formula One, which is never advisable. It's like why would Willi- why why are Williams gonna hire him now? Like say say he need, say he doesn't work out on McLaren. They're not going to give. Then you know, it's, 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 it's. I'm not saying you know. Never say never. These things. But if you've already gone, nah, no, nah, I don't want to do. Uh, I'd, I'd rather go anywhere but Williams. Sort of vibe is what was coming out of the camp, right? That's not good for your potential options down the line. He may never need that. It may never, you know, become a thing. Whatever, fine. But to sort of publicly shame Alpine, I think deservedly so because he was treated very poorly by Alpine, and Alpine really it was just PR own goal after PR own goal, like. Uh, you know, Otmar questioning Piastri's integrity and things like that. It's like, it was really, really needless sort of thing. Um, but with by doing that, you know, he's 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 got to deliver now. And we have no proof that he will be able to do it simply because he hasn't had the chance to show it yet, right? That's, that's just the, the facts of the matter. But he's going up against Lando Norris, who has basically ended Daniel Ricciardo's career, like, or he definitely massively altered our perspective of Ricciardo. Um, and that's going to be a really hard job. We know how good Lando Norris is. And we've just spoken about how that McLaren package is really difficult, so difficult that Ricardo couldn't deliver in it. It's going to be really hard for Piastri. But, you know, I'm sure I, I have, you know, as you said, look, you mentioned his junior career. He can deliver and he can deliver like way above what people expect. There was like a Mark Webber had a four year plan for him to get through um, uh, F3 and F2. And he did it in two years. So the pressure's there. People like us, people like me are saying, you know, Oscar, right, here you go. Here's your chance to prove us wrong. He, he'll probably do it. I think back in 2018, we put Charles Leclerc in the top 10 of Autosport's top 50 drivers. And people were going like, huh? What have you done? Uh, and it's nice when you get it right occasionally. And, and it, you know, it, it, it pays off. But he is, uh, he is that good. Aware that we are looking at the time, we haven't talked about uh, the future of the Sauber team and where that goes in terms of ownership. Uh, Haas started really well. Um, Alpha Tauri and Williams as well. I'll do a quick around the grounds and Luke, get your thoughts on some of the drivers and teams we haven't talked about yet. Well, yeah, I think for Haas and Alpha, it was quite similar seasons in the sense that they, um, yeah, both started very strong and then as the year went on, they, they they struggled more. And I think that you look at Haas, obviously. Such a turbulent preseason when the Nikita Mazepin exit and Ural Kali's exit in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and then Kevin Magnussen coming back. We, the three of us, landed in Bahrain after the plane broke that we went to fly on, and then we got another one that turned up and four pound from BA to look us uh, after a four-hour wait for the new plane to arrive. Thanks, and um, it was uh, yeah, and, and we arrived and landed. Obviously, no internet to the news that yeah, K Mag was back. And that was a real feel-good story, and you could feel the energy around Haas, which was then combined with they, they had a quick car, and Magnussen finished fifth really early on, started so strongly. That amazing pole in Brazil, which is a real, like, we didn't have many big shocks or freak results in F1 this year, but that was, like, amazing. So, so out of the blue. But I think with Haas, you've got to remember that this is a team that was still still kind of reeling from the impacts of the last few years, like COVID and what is our future? Do we have a future? Yeah. And that car was only given one update through the season. Like it wasn't sort of one of these really well developed cars or anything. So there wasn't sort of the chance, I think, for them to keep up with that midfield fight. So I think for them to finish eighth is is pretty good. And with Sal with Alfa Romeo, obviously Sauber becoming Audi down the line, it's a similar kind of story. Sai very strong, as I mentioned on last week's podcast about sort of the weight advantage they had to begin with that was so so crucial to what they did but Bottas did a really good job stepping in from Mercedes I think Joe as a rookie was fantastic I know his points deficits Valtteri looks quite big but 
I believe of Valtteri's 49 points, I think 46 of them came in the first eight or nine races. And the, the gap came down from what was like, a, uh, I was looking at super times, from what was like a four, you know, 0.45 gap at the mm. start of the year was 0.15 by the end. Some well, of that I go. think was Bottas yeah. plateauing a little bit. But yeah, but was it was mega. fantastic, I think, from, uh, from them. And they're going to have an interesting journey over the next few years with title sponsor leaving Volkswagen Group coming into Formula One, but also the Ferrari engine supply deal and how much technical knowledge gets shared around with their new, you know, Volkswagen Group are investing as, a, as an equity partner in that. And yet there'll be technical conversations around the Ferrari powertrain. So all of those things are going to be worked out. We, we you know, that that's going to be a, a bit of a journey. In terms of Williams, a quick mention from one of you guys or, you know, your thoughts on on their season and, and then we'll talk about the future. Ultimately, one of real disappointment. You know, they seem to be, be gathering lots of momentum, a bit like McLaren, you know, it was step by step by step from that awful year in 2019 and a bad one already in 2018. And it just, just didn't materialise. You know, it was... They didn't look awful in testing. You know, I think they had, um, um, when Latifi was at the wheel, the, the brakes sort of exploded in Bahrain and that was the only real sort of dodgy looking moment, but they seemed fairly solid. And then they've just been off the pace and having to do weird things with strategy. Um, having said that, I think they've got Alex Albon. He's, you know, he's he's not had the sort of consistent highs that George Russell was getting in that sort of seat the previous few years, but his high moments have been tremendous like yeah. that drive in Australia like we've selected that as one of our mm. best joy to reveal this to the to the listeners is what we do like top five drives for the season some really good ones missed out Lewis Hamilton in Paul Ricard like that deserves to be in there but we, we have to pick five and you know we, we, we don't do decimal points or whatever so you know that but anyway we selected Albon's drive in Australia right because it was just it was just tremendous you know he was holding off Ocon who was doing that lift and coast like I was talking about earlier he was keeping pace with the McLarens the, the reason why he was able to do that was because he started right at the back because his uh, car had run out of fuel in qualifying. Uh, so disqualifying the results, he could take it easy on the tyres at the start and then get up to speed and bed it in. And he was like, oh, we've, well, this has worked. We've, we, you know, we, we don't know why, but it worked. And that was the problem. They couldn't replicate it. So, you know, a car that wasn't quite as quick and just things just going wrong, just they couldn't maintain the consistent high points. Did have Latifi in the other car. His Formula One career is now over. I think, you know, it's it's ultimately will be just remembered as one of sort of ultimately lacking. Lovely man, Nicholas Asif. You had a great chat with him at Silverstone. All that awful stuff he went through on social media after that crash obviously had nothing to do with what then unfolded in the shambles of the FIA in Abu Dhabi a year ago. We say goodbye to him. They are, the other big high point was uh, was Nick de Vries coming in um, to replace Albon. And of course, Al, the, the sensational point, you know, we've not, Albon nearly died in Italy. You know, it's, That's it's a good point. really shocking, like the fact that that happened. Um, and obviously, it's wonderful to see he's recovered so well and so quickly. Like, he was back racing in Singapore Most a few weeks grueling, later. Grueling. The Hardest race of the year, I mean, right? His exit from that race was comedy, but the, the fact he made the grid was 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 insane. Yeah, Nick De Vries coming along. He's going to be Alpha Tauri next year. Alpha Tauri, another team we've not really mentioned on this podcast, but they had a very underwhelming they, season. They were the biggest loser in yeah. terms of how many places they they fell. Um, you know, were un were unhappy with the car. I know they've talked about that. Basically, the car was a little bit underbaked because they, they're still basically pushing the potential of what they're doing now. They've moved to the bigger scale Red Bull wind tunnel. So, so. I would also contest and, you know, it's hard to prove, but once once Gasly's future lay elsewhere, I think his head was gone. Like, he was so 
quick to complain over team radio and 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 slow effectively and you know and then it also it surely it puts a ceiling on Yuki Tsunoda's career where we're all assuming that De Vries is a Formula E and Formula 2 champion but he's going to come in with one race experience and even even Helmut Marco's talking up as a team leader for next year so that immediately you know says something about about Tsunoda's standing to them but um a, a real disappointment for for that for that team Tsunoda had some comedy crashes as well I mean like yeah. coming out of the pit lane in Canada oh, straight was- into the barriers yeah. that was bad that was really bad almost as bad as Valtteri Bottas driving into the ball not crashing but hitting the ball in Miami because he was too busy looking in his mirrors watching <laughs> yeah. Hamilton and Russell this is brilliant <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was like I mean it wasn't Latifi getting lost at Suzuka bad but come on Valtteri how did you manage that that was shocking I mean, and he was having a brilliant weekend but I was like no I'm doing the driver ratings you're not having a good score Valtteri because that was shocking no there, I mean there are big screens all around that you can watch it on the big screens if you want but don't look in your mirrors watching it um, and then it seems a little bit odd because it's around the subject of someone passing away uh, but with Dietrich Matsitz as uh, a guaranteed source of money if you like as, as for as long as he was committed in Red Bull and, and Alpha Tauri we're a long way in Formula One from teams crowdsourcing cash to get to a race you know from the, the Lotuses and you know Marussia days and, and Hispania and even the lower end teams now seem there's less drama around the finances of that but with the future of Alpha Tauri, is there a possibility of that being used as an investment of maybe a motor manufacturer coming in and offering Red Bull some money if Red Bull kind of lose the appetite of having their, their two teams? Potentially. I mean, yeah. we know people want to join the grid. There's only 10 spots. But I think that Red Bull, yeah, they've seemed pretty committed. I think we've not seen any big shift in plan or anything. And they've made pretty clear that the succession plan after Dietrich Matthews' sad passing is in place and that the teams are secure for the future. And I know AlphaTauri is not the team that's winning championships, but yeah, it's about developing the future Red Bull drivers. It's about being the sister team. I think it does need to take a step forward and be more competitive. But I think that, yeah, I think... And the overall health of F1, yeah, we're not in the era of, oh, is every team going to make the end of the season now? Like... F1's in such a good spot right now. We've got even Haas. They've got the MoneyGram title sponsorship from next season. I think that it just feels like, yeah, it's a good, it's a good stable grid right now. I know a lot's been said about Andretti and whatever, but I think F1's in a really good spot right now. And it's exciting to think what the future is going to hold. Next year will begin, apart from testing in Bahrain and a single pre-season test on the 5th of March. Now it will end on the 26th of November next year and it'll be a hell of a season in between. Just a final couple of minutes of your thoughts on on what you're looking forward to next year. Alex, we'll start with you in 2023. The storylines you'll be looking forward to following as an autosport journalist and Grand Prix editor. Well, obviously, Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll crashing into each other. I'm sure that'll be uh, very interesting. Uh, If Mercedes are back in the title fight, Again, like let's 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 keep your focus on the drivers here. How do George Russell and Lewis Hamilton get on? Because you know they've they've got on very well this year. Because it's easy to do so when you're not fighting for a world championship. So you know the dynamics there. Will Verstappen live to regret not helping Perez? Can Sainz stay as close to Leclerc as he was by the end of the season? You know, will he have another bad start? Will Ferrari be able to change? I mean, honestly, like Formula One is in such a good place because we're able to to talk about something at every team, and it's and it's all tremendously interesting which just seems to be my favourite word in every podcast Matt what are you looking forward to next year I'm expecting something massive around Lando Norris because as the later we get into 2023 the more they'll get an idea about you know the 2024 car which is the first one with the wind tunnel you know and he's now looked at everyone he's either chummy with or racing alongside he's now won a race with Carlos Sainz and George Russell and you've got obviously Max Verstappen and when Audi completes its full takeover he, he would be my number one 
target as a driver. So I think they'll, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be you can't have another year with the driver market quite as explosive as 2022. But I think think if there was something seismic, I think Norris could potentially be at the centre of it. I think it's a a massive year for how his patience is uh, tested at, at McLaren. I think seeing how Piastri gets on, I think that's going to be really fascinating. I don't think there's been a rookie who's come into F1 quite as turbulently as Oscar Piastri has. So I think that is going to be, that's going to be amazing. I think he's, yeah, amazingly talented. We know that. But as you say, Q, like Lando is fantastic. He's one of the best drivers in F1 right now. Yeah, if I were Red Bull, I'd be saying, oh, damn, I shouldn't have signed that long-term contract with uh, Perez. Because, yeah, could I have maybe gone for Norris in some way? Piastri, yeah, there's going to be a lot of focus on him. And I think that it's going to be, really really cool if he can step up and sort of show all this talent he's put through the junior categories and and deliver so that's gonna be really good and i think yeah you say a lot of races 24 race calendar 23 they're looking at that replacement for china kind of hoping they don't it'd be quite nice to have that bigger break i think and uh vegas i mean that's a big big story for formula one it's again showing where everyone is going it's about entertainment it's about having these events as opposed to races maybe and i know that purists may not they may not like that in the same way and that that's fine but I think that there's room for both and I think that's going to be a real sort of statement event for uh, where F1 is one of the big controversial moments of 2023 will be when uh, Q and I have to fight over who goes to cover it I don't know how we're going to decide well, Vegas well, yeah which one of us well, we're not sending everyone to Vegas we? I, I don't think we can afford it I mean, like, not because not, not we're lacking funds just because of how much it costs <laughs> just to get that. <laughs> oh, right, <sorry. laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll come to some amicable agreement I did Saudi Arabia last year yeah, I know that. I, I understand that I'm going there this year that's fine that one's already agreed I'm not reneging on that. It will be interesting on Piastri because there's an argument that he's got nothing to compare it to. So one of the reasons that I have loved this modern era of Formula One is because you've got young drivers proving themselves and Max proved himself against Lewis Hamilton. Um, And still on the grid were Kimi Raikkonen, Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso. So you had great young drivers and you had world champions on the grid, Um, which is, yeah, it's changing inevitably. But one of the things about Piastri is because he's got no history, he could just come into the team and think, well, this is how it is. So this is how life is now. Whereas some drivers go, well, I prefer, you know, some drive. Well, I liked it when it was like this. And you wonder, well, they're all experts at, at learning, teaching an old dog new tricks. But you think, well, a young driver's got just pure focus on this is how the car is. So I'll just learn to drive this car. So super interesting. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, I will let you all go and enjoy your Christmases and New Year's. Thank you very much for taking part in our two-part season review on the Autosport podcast. We would love to hear from you, obviously in all the usual social media places, which is my lazy way of uh, of not reading out everyone's Twitter handles. Uh, but thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.